0: Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Alright everyone, welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. We are the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. And who does that? The Brain Trust analytical mastermind Daniel J. Glenn is who I am. And next to me, of course... The physics phenom, Doctor Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. As always, uh, love having you here, Denon. And of course, we, you and I—we come up with these ideas. We explore physics. We got to make this thing a reality. There's only one guy I want doing that, and that's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siepser. Ben, I'm, I love having you here.
1: Happy to be here, Dan.
0: All right, guys. So this is a really fun episode. We got a we got a lot of work ahead of us. So we're going to jump right into this. We are going to attempt over the course of two episodes to tackle. Westworld so this is going to be pretty difficult but I think we can handle it I want to mention so this is really cool I don't know if you guys know this but Michael Crichton this is his first feature film the Westworld film from 1973 on which the television series is based I didn't know Michael Crichton did it I thought that was really cool have you guys seen the movie by chance
2: it turns out I have not I'm I'm real curious now is it any good Dan I trust your opinion
1: Well, (laughs) Ben, have you seen it? I've seen some visual effect breakdowns of it, but not the movie itself. Okay. Well, here's what's really interesting. So, the movie's
0: very different, but it's the same premise. Here's I I read this in an article that I thought was really interesting for those that have seen the movie and are watching the television series. Westworld, the movie, is about two people who visit a cowboy-themed park. The TV show is about the hosts, the robots... And how they live there day in and day out. The perspective is very, very different. And I think that's what we're going to have to kind of punch here is that we're really talking about it's really the robots that this show was about, especially in season two. What was your favorite? I know, Denon, you are brand new to this show. Uh, Having get fresh on your mind, what is your first favorite part of this show uh, from a sci-fi standpoint?
2: I just love the fact that you'd get to live pretty much anywhere you want. In this case, you know, the Wild West is near the top of my choices. But the first thing I did when I watched this was like, hmm, where would I actually want to go back and visit? And (laughs) and it was tough because my first choice really is – uh, um, oddly the Middle Ages, but with good sanitation, and I don't think that exists, so I'm bored.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Minus the bubonic plague, of exactly. course. Exactly. <laughs> ben, what about you? Well, if I wanted to visit, I, I feel like, you know, robotic Jurassic Park would be the way to go. <laughs> yeah, a lot less dangerous. <laughs> yeah. but, right. But in terms of what I liked about the show the most was just how it makes you question what is consciousness. What is... Yeah human like is is there more to a human than memory and algorithms that react based on the memory and new input mm-hmm. are, are mm-hmm. humans really any more than that and i think it explores that question very very well the philosophy in this in
0: both in, in the whole series is really incredible it does really make you think I got to tell you, though, I think we talked about in our, when we were doing our Sci-Fi Sweet 16, we talked about how Inception is kind of snobby by the fans of the show. Right. So this is interesting because it's created by, part well, co-created by jo- Jonathan Nolan, Chris's brother. And I think, I got to tell you, I like the show, uh, you know, for reasons I'm, I'll explain, but this show feels very snobby by its creators in a way. It almost seems artificially difficult to understand. I, w- I watched all these shows. Denon has the luxury of having gotten through all 20 episodes in a row, which is awesome. For the fans, we got away two, almost two years, at least 18 months in between seasons. I forgot, so I was going to recaps, and I totally forgot how confusing this show really is. Not even talking about season three, which is totally bizarre. It- it's almost, I don't know that it's inaccessible, but it's very difficult to access, which makes it feel you know like the... I don't know if you guys remember the TV show Lost. I was on the board with I was on board with Lost from the beginning, but it was also purposefully confusing. And I don't want this to become that. You know, it's about an island, they gotta go back to Westworld. I'm I'm worried about that. Other than that, I really like it.
2: I will say this, Dan, I'm worried about season three, but I wanna say if they had ended after season two, mm-hmm. I would have been excited. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it, it was a perfectly fine moment to end it. It may science fiction and fantasy often runs the risk. Of always going into way too many sequels, yeah, yeah. Right. The beauty of it is, it creates a world for you, and then your mind can wander about what would happen next, right? You know, so so really wondering what would happen at the end of season two once the hosts are out there, right? Could be more fun than what happens in season three. So far, they're okay, right? Yeah, yeah. I know we're only three episodes in, but they have the potential to really screw this up. Whereas, (laughs) as confusing as confusing as one and two were. I'm going to take a slightly different perspective than you. I found it the charm, but I think it's because I could watch it an episode a night. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Right. And at an episode a night, all the way from season one to season two, it really, really is fascinating and holds together. Hmm. Yeah. If I had two years between season one and season two, I'm with you. That probably would have been painful. Hmm. Well, even a week between episodes. I mean, even even a week week, between episodes is hard. I mean, my daughter watched it for a second time with me going, oh, that's what was going on. And she was like, you watched it the first time.
0: Yeah. I, so I did notes for this. I prepared notes for this. There were things I read in the recaps that I missed completely. I picked up – I'm the analytical mastermind. You guys both know that. And I picked up maybe 50%, 60% <laughs> of the <this> show. <laughs> I had to have someone I literally walk me yeah. through. Yeah. Not, uh, not
2: surprising. <laughs>
0: No, it and, and so anyway, but but I do love the show, don't get me wrong. It's it's so much fun. And I want to mention one other quick thing that I thought was really interesting. Evan Rachel Wood, who is the who plays Dolores, the main character. What I think is so cool about her being cast is when we look at beauty. Beauty yeah. is Really, for human beings, there's 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 mathematics um, between like how far your eyes are spaced apart and how much right. you're you know there's there's a mathematical formula to what a human being finds beautiful. What's great about her is she has the most perfectly bilaterally symmetrical face I think I've ever seen in an actress, which both makes her beautiful that does count as being beautiful, but it also is extraordinarily robotic, right? Like we make our robots right. mm. to be perfectly symmetrical. I just think that you know besides her acting ability visually she is a great person to have as the lead in
1: a show about robots i don't know what
0: that means i just that was like really struck stuck out to me
1: yep it's interesting too as the first you know as the first host they made her perfect Mm -hmm. but then Mm -hmm. as time went on they realized oh we need to put flaws into these characters we're creating
0: right like like little little flaws that make them not perfect like that you're saying but still you know it's Uh, That is really cool. Uh, So let's get into the park. So what we're going to tackle on this first episode, we're going to talk about the park itself and also the safety features built into the park. And we're going to touch on the robotics, how the robots kind of fit into that. But, you know, let's first talk about this is a giant interactive theme park. I mean, you're talking about the. it's a wide swath of land that they're constantly adjusting and changing. There's a fleet of robots. There's departments. You know, humans have to come in and they have to clean the robots, repair them, reprogram them, put them them back out there. Not to mention the incredible tunnel system, all the um, the underground complexes. This is a massive undertaking. We're going to go right to Ben on this one. Let's talk about it from an engineering standpoint. W- what would it, what is the, the feat, the engineering feats? What could
1: make this possible? Because it feels like this is daunting. It, it's definitely daunting. The, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of problems. <laughs> or okay. things that need solutions, maybe, is the better way to put it. Sure, yeah. Uh, the, one is just the tunnel system. When I think of that, I think of like Disneyland on steroids. We, we've all heard the stories of like the underground secret network of tunnels under Disneyland that let the cast members move things around and uh, get everything where it needs to be so that they can make the show, make you happy. So that, so that is
0: called well, – so I want to pause you because I think that's great. That's an in-real-life thing I wanted to mention. You're yeah. 100% right. They're called the Utilidors, You're and still- it is a massive underground tunnel system just like you said. Yeah. Here's what's crazy about it, and here's where the parallels with Westworld exist. I'm so glad you brought this up, Ben. Yeah. There are abandoned parks, sections of the park that they have abandoned, that they don't use anymore, that the public can't go to, that they do not touch. And are just sitting there rotting. Like there are people who go behind the scenes and record this stuff. There are exhibits that are still in their full, exactly how they were, but when they closed down, with the lights still on them. One guy went to like a, a shutdown, like river rafting place, and the music was still playing. The park benches are sitting there rotting. It's very weird, but it's extensive. It is so big that they have these. They're able to have this land. So th- that's the parallel with Westworld. It's very similar to that.
1: I, I thought yeah. that was really interesting. Anyway, continue. Yeah. What's well, interesting though is. For what we see I think the scale is a lot bigger like right. the, the the area that we see of Westworld must be tens 20 30 40 miles across. It's huge mm-hmm. right you need a train to get in mm-hmm. that's not something you can kind of just walk around or golf cart around like 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 Disneyland and so I mean I, we see bits of that right we see the rovers that the the West cast members. <laughs> Have. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the non-hosts, although maybe they are hosts. Like we see a lot. We see, in fact, that a lot of these employees may be hosts too. Right. right. Uh, so I think part of it is just manpower, and manpower there doesn't need to be actual manpower. It can be more hosts. Like there's probably a whole army of robots that aren't very interesting, so we don't see them. Who. Go in and drag the bodies into the tunnels and bring them back to headquarters and clean up all the blood and put the rocks back and fix the windows and, you know, unkick down the
2: doors. (laughs) That raises a very interesting uh, solution to a problem I have with the show, which is as huge as it is, it's not really a problem, it's a funny point. As huge as it is, there's never any people in the tunnels. Or walking around. Yeah. right. The amount of secret stuff that happens is incredible. I mean, Ford is always walking by himself in random tunnels doing mysterious things, and no one sees them. And (laughs) and our two main people working on Mave never get caught doing anything funky because there's all these rooms that are empty of people. So you're right. I was wondering where all the workers are to do all this stuff. And either they're always on a coffee break or (laughs) – Well, you see them, and and the doors are all glass, which is weird. Every room is, like, It's definitely an open office. It's a modern
1: um... open office space, you know. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Yeah, yes. Another option, though, is that maybe the hosts, like, at night, they just turn into janitors. Oh, like multiple jobs. (laughs) Whoever doesn't get shot starts cleaning up. You see the like those the
0: centurions without the skin, like just the white. Yes, um, you like do the see white yeah. guys. Robot, like like they're just walking around. Th- those are they're super creepy. By the way, I oh, love yeah. those things because they're very Terminator like T eight hundred Oh yeah, I love them. Yeah. They're really scary. But I think that fits in right into what you're saying is you've got a bunch of these guys roaming around doing very simple tasks. They don't need a personality. You can have very
1: base AI, yeah.
0: and maybe they do shift tasks. I love that idea.
1: Yeah. Um, so then, so that that's one problem. Kind of solved. I think you can just solve it with more robots. <laughs> I think that's easy, right. and no shortage of them there, by the way. There's no shortage of robots. Um, but then the other problem is, how do you change the environment? And that I think is actually the bigger problem. How do you move mountains? How do you create new canyons? Um, you see that a little bit when you know Ford's talking about creating the new, you know, the new storyline in the first season, and you see. They actually brought in a real giant mining machine. Well, they didn't bring it in. They got stock photography or something of a real barrel (laughs) digger. And so you see that. But the hole that thing made, that would take like years to dig something that big with a machine like that. So one possibility is they're really messing with the timeline, which is certainly possible. Mm -hmm.
2: No, there's nothing in that show which messes with the timeline. It's perfectly linear. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. yeah. That, you know, it really does take a long time for them to, you know, make a new canyon for the new storyline or the or they're just kind of playing fast and loose with, you know, how long it takes to dig something.
0: Well, we live we live in L.A., right? I I can reveal that. And what's interesting is they're extending our subway system. And, yeah. it, it, like, right by my house, they have pictures of the machine they use, which is this gigantic, like, hole digger, basically. It's like, yeah. you know, it's this, it this got, got a big cone on the end, and it cuts through rock and all that stuff. That thing has been dig- – I think it digs an, a foot and a half per day maybe, and yeah. that thing has taken, like, over three years to go – I don't know how many miles it is, but yeah. it to go to the ocean or whatever. That's in L.A. in modern times. It still takes – you know, it's taken a long time to do it,
1: so I can only imagine. People are very good at underestimating – what it takes to dig a tunnel like you see mm-hmm. the dirt you see the when you see the hole when you're in the tunnel it doesn't seem that big cuz it's a small confining tunnel but when you think about the actual volume of that space and that it has to actually come out in like on a little conveyor belt that's only a couple feet wide you know that volume is huge for every like foot of dirt you need hundreds of feet of of conveyor belts worth of of uh you know removal and it's just it's slow yeah right and you don't we don't appreciate that because we don't understand volume very well a fun you know interview question some people get is like how many dump trucks would it take to move mount everest the, the you know some people might think oh you know it it wouldn't you know it would take or or even better how long would it take and the answer is it takes it would take something like 14 years of the biggest <laughs> dump truck in the world. It would take yeah. it 14 years if you loaded each one full once a minute. Wow. So- <laughs> So one of those a minute, it would take fourteen years, twenty four seven. Then that's like the speed, and you got to think of this filling that every every minute. That's like the
0: speed of like a water bucket going to put out a fire in the olden days. You know, where you just like immediate? And that's
1: just the top eight thousand feet. That's crazy. That's incredible. I mean,
0: that's, that now that really messes with your mind when you start putting it into into years, right? And we don't see anyone building Mount
1: Everest, but right. we do see people building mountains that are pretty sizable. But you know what, the top of Mount Everest isn't in terms of volume it's about the same as like a mile of the grand canyon
2: oh, right and, wow. and they're definitely okay. making canyons in this show
0: yeah for sure that's really interesting i didn't think about that well there so how could we so in it you know let's put we got the best engineering mind of to date on this thing so how would we speed that up how could we make this possible besides obviously bigger dump trucks and you know
1: yeah i, I mean the reality is you can't you can't move dirt that fast it It's heavy. So I think the answer is you don't move dirt. And maybe the dirt's a scam. (laughs) And the reality is it's all a veneer. So when they make a new canyon, they don't actually move dirt. What they do is they strip it back down to the top of the tunnels, build a new superstructure, and then, you know, paint it into a new canyon. (laughs)
0: I see. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're basically, you're building it, you're not creating it, so to speak, right? Yeah,
1: you're not moving dirt around.
2: Yeah, everything or wireframe sets. Yeah. Uh, I, okay.
1: I think that's okay. the only way to do it. And then you only have like a, you know, a foot or two of actual dirt. That Although they can dig sense. graves, so I guess you need at least like eight feet of dirt.
0: Right. Yeah. Six to eight feet. Well, only in road. isolated they, they spots,
1: ones. Ben. Yeah.
2: You, you 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 know you specify where are graveyards and such. You don't need the eight feet everywhere. You're would be tr- particular yeah. as to where you put the slightly deeper dirt. It <laughs> also kind of explains the um, pop up houses. Um, you know the the elevators that come up, right? Yeah. Um, you're not necessarily probably moving a ton of dirt and having a big tunnel there. It's all part of the infrastructure and the tunnels um and and then you just are moving a little bit of dirt to come up.
1: Yeah, when we see it pop up, there's there's not a lot of topsoil there.
0: Well, I mean it's it's really fascinating and the other crazy thing about this is as we learn in season 3, there are other parks and there's one island. And so you there's and there's very wildly different climates on each. Yes. Definitely. I mean, so does that would that imply that they are kind of Almost like a you know, almost like an ant farm or like a a dome where you're you're inside an enclosed you know, for lack of a better term, soundstage like the Truman Show you know where you're it only goes so far and that they're able to control the
2: climate in each individual pocket or how else could we really do that? Well, I think you know that's what you're you're either looking at sort of physical partial domes, mm-hmm. right? I don't know that you need a full dome um, to modify it some, but you really are doing something interesting and it made me think about i i like combining that with ben's idea if you don't have a lot of earth Mm -hmm. right if the floor is very kind of shallow Mm -hmm. and you've got a strong infrastructure in there you can possibly control some of the climate from just below Mm. right because you you're you're really looking for either extra humidity or not i mean the the biggest difference is if you think about the three parks we see if i recall are basically all places that are hot you've got the desert you've got india well i don't know if japan's hot
1: we see snow in the japan parts
2: eventually in one area yeah right but that's up on a higher mountain and again the snow there you could control from below like an ice skating rink
1: yeah Mm -hmm, Um, mm
2: -hmm. you know we have outdoor ice skating rinks in southern california where you you shouldn't right and so to some degree (laughs) again if it's not a very thick mountain and all you're doing is controlling the temperature right at the surface. So I think the solution to both moving everything and controlling the environment is Ben's clever um, framing engineering, and then we control microclimates by what we do to the floor.
0: That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Okay, so then yeah. do you so you don't need a top then to keep? I don't it all think clean? you necessarily
2: need a top because you're worried about the climate locally. Um, I'm wondering if a partial dome could help you with this, um, and that might also allow you to control rhythms of of you know sunlight and shade and rain or not rain Mm -hmm. but that's a big thing to build
1: that would be the thing for me is how do you deal with the the rain like it's not Mm -hmm. really supposed to rain in wild west world right um but if you're on an island in you know the pacific somewhere which is what it seems like is the case yeah yeah it's tough to not get rain on those islands Right, right, um, right. So I was also thinking maybe it's a really big island that's big enough to have some serious microclimates where, like, Westworld's on the the, uh, the side opposite the prevailing winds so that all the, – and there's maybe a big real mountain that, you mm. know, causes a rain shadow. Oh, interesting. I okay. like that. Okay. Yeah, that's a great idea.
0: I, and, and we don't know, but I imagine if we, – we know basically the size and scope of Westworld. Yeah, we've been shown four parks, and you would have to at least assume that they are similar in scope. If even if it's not as big, which would imply that it's a pretty big, pretty big island. I don't know if it's big yeah. enough to have microclimates, but it very well may. And four may not be the only number; it could be more.
1: It could. I mean, most Hawaiian islands have microclimates, and they're yeah. not that oh, big. Yeah.
2: No, I oh, okay. mean that's one of the things I remember from going to the Big Island in Hawaii. Half of it looks like the moon, and half looks like a jungle. So. <laughs> it's very doable
0: oh yeah. that's so interesting i love that this is i mean that that is such a it's just a cool thought experiment to think once we start seeing all these different worlds what are they doing there i just realized i think we see five worlds actually in west world um i think because we see let me see if i can count them. we see west world we see india world we see um the shogun Jap- japan we see a medieval – we don't see the world, but we see the medieval – like a, a dragon and um, some medieval people in the third right, episode at some of the point. third season. Right. And then we see War World. So we see- well, War right.
1: World was um, not real. Both of those were simulations inside of Maeve. Which ones were? Medieval and war. Yeah, Jeez. Oh, all right. All right. So that's the 60
0: percent of 40 percent. I didn't pick up. All right.
1: Thank you, Ben, for that. Appreciate that. But but for all we know, they're simulations of real things in the park. That's exactly right. Yeah. right. That's exactly <laughs> so that could right. Be. Uh, all right. Well. <laughs> so let's here.
0: Here's the other cool thing. So we, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the safety protocols. Right. So when you go into Westworld, there's a list. There's a series of rules. And one of the rules is that basically you can't, the guests can't be hurt. It is a safe environment. They have guns, but the guns don't affect the humans, and they, but they do affect the robots. So this, I think there's a couple of really cool ways to tackle this. I've got some fun ideas, but I want to hear what you guys say first. So let's talk about the physics really quickly, and then let's see what, what Ben comes up with, with the engineering <laughs> and then I'll pipe in.
2: So when I look at it, Dan, one thing that fascinates me is, to me, they, they seem to make a point of showing you the bullets, and the bullets do look different to me. Mm-hmm. I could be reading a bit into this, yeah. but they seem to be dually structured. And I, I really suspect this comes down to um, bullet design. There's some other okay. issues, um, but, but the core thing is I think the bullets in general are rubber bullets. You do see one scene where um, William's daughter shoots a guy to check if he's real or not and mm-hmm. it definitely hurts them. You definitely see, you know, William getting shot and bruised, you know, right. sort of like you have a bulletproof vest on or something. Sure. So I do think these are projectiles moving at bullet speeds, but um in their normal state they're soft and they they just sort of bruise people or hurt them but don't kill them. And makes sense to me. I will then add to this, I think there is basically a radio signal type. I think we're going with radio waves. Ben may correct me with a better signaling from the engineering point of view. But I'm going to say they're radio um, signaling that they can detect a host versus a human because the host put out a particular signal. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it allows me to mention sort of basically magnetoreological fluids. These are cool fluids that when put on magnetic fields – are suddenly turned from so- liquids to solids or vice versa. You can change the state of oh, matter. And so they're these soft rubber bullets with a-, a magnetofluid core that when it gets the right radio signal, magnetic field suddenly makes them solid and they rip into the um, host. So that's what wow. I'm starting with. I'm Ooh, combining a whole bunch of cool physics here. Hey, Never got that. to talk about magnetoreological fluids yet in the <laughs> episode, but we're going there. <laughs> You
0: found a way to fit it in and I love it. Yeah. Um, it's almost as good as foam but not quite. No, no, no. Almost, almost a close second or third. Um Ben, what do you think?
1: Well, the thing I I worry about there is like there's still mass. And the, I think bolts are more about mass than how solid they are. I'm not entirely sure about that. Like I mean a rubber bullet a rubber bullet doesn't hurt you or fails to hurt you also because it weighs less, not just because It's it's soft because they're actually not soft. (laughs) They're they're actually that's why
2: these magneto fluid ones are soft rubber. That's where I'm going with. Right. Well,
0: let me let me pop in here really quickly. So because there is an in real life equivalent to this, which I was okay. going to. So they're, they're called. So in I think Jonathan Nolan in an interview calls them uh, simunitions, basically like like a simulated ammunition. But this is a real thing. There's actually a company called Simunition, and they the, the military uses bullets just like this to train. Essentially, some of them are made. They also have they also have wax bullets, and mm-hmm. so what you basically they are bullets that are. Essentially, the way Denon described it is they're they're rubber or some other they're large paintballs essentially, and some of them are some of them have colors in them, but they're essentially like a bullet. They're loaded into a, into a real bullet. They don't use as much gunpowder. I think it's like just capping powder. But they but they but they go at a similar speed. But they are non lethal. So bullets like that do exist. The military bu- um, police use them to train, and wax bullets are used for target practice and things like that. So yeah. these things do exist.
1: Yeah, for sure, but but what I'm thinking is I don't see a way to make that you know host lethal if if we want to call it that. Okay. So in my mind, it's not that I think the hosts are faking it. <laughs> I think that's my answer okay. is that they're programmed to when they get shot to be more hurt. Like there's squibs throughout their skin or something. Yeah. That so that when they detect a, a gunshot, they Hurt themselves even more than they normally would.
0: That's what I was thinking as well. Like I thought, if they would, if they had like squibs or something along the lines of, you know, I mean, everyone played laser tag when they were a kid, right? And so basically, you have this signal, and you know, I like what Denon said about the radio signal. Obviously, we've moved beyond laser tag, but I think if you have this bullet, maybe there is some sort of frequency censoring system that the that the robots pick up. And it enacts you know some sort of destruction, you know, even if it's localized self-destruct where it creates a bullet wound through a squib or some other kind of electrical impulse. And then when that is triggered, you know obviously the hosts believe they are being shot, and so then there's something that you can just send an impulse that taps into the AI and then they they think they're being hurt. But I think it can be done pretty easily mechanically so
2: i I would love that as a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my one challenge i had is i believe and i i'm, I'm willing to be corrected here mm-hmm. but i believe we often see people shooting hosts through things and sometimes oh. two hosts at a time mm-hmm. right so th- i see there, there's got to be something i think also mechanical in the bullet that rigidifies mm-hmm. them so that they can go through things and and i agree with ben there's a challenge here is it mass or is it rigidity um, it, it, you know, the mass of the bullets... It's a bit of both, yeah. It, you know, it's a bit of both. The mass of the bullets basic, basically do do stuff. I also wonder, what if we go the other way, right? What if what if the bullets are, are, are fundamentally massive enough to cause the damage, but have um, a, a shell that basically um, detects a human and disrupts them? Because we know, we find out much later that the humans are being wearing hats that are scanning them, mm-hmm. right? And I was always suspicious of the clothing, right? They have to wear special Westworld clothing. And I was trying to think, well, how could the clothing be protective? Because the humans could get headshots, but maybe it's the clothing that also has a radio signal. Mm. Um, so it doesn't matter where you're aiming at the person, and the bullets are mostly ruptured, not completely. Some matter still hits them, and that's why you feel the bruise or not. But the clothing is sending a signal, and that way the bullets can still go through the wood and through the multiple people and do stuff. I think the core of this is a signal though. I think yeah. we all agree on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's either that or the entire world is squibbed and <laughs> when you shoot right yeah, like, when you shoot anything it blows it up. It, anything but a person a in the path. <laughs>
0: I love the idea though because essentially it's you know to dumb it down it's almost like the cornstarch and water idea where it can be a solid and a liquid exactly and in yeah. a much more advanced world you can adjust just how fluid or rigid it is I think that that is a, a great solution with with the radio or you know that's a, a dumbed down yeah. to a laser tag I really like that I think that that's yeah. probably where yeah. it comes in I do
1: like the clothing idea because then then we're just playing you know it's mm-hmm. uh it's Star Trek shields game where. Yeah, you know, it's basically just a fancy boltproof vest. Hmm. But it works on the bolt. You know, it's it's kinda like um right. active armor on tanks where when the active armor on a tank, it actually it's an explosive that faces out away from the tank and it when it gets triggered, it blows up to try to basically destroy the shell and destroy its armor penetrating capability before it can hit the real solid armor behind the active Hmm. armor hmm that's interesting i mean i think that there's something
0: to that i think that that this one i thought was a little tricky but i think with all these things combined this actually makes it a little more possible than i thought going into it yeah but it's it's really interesting because i think that that's probably the the one of the most fun rules i mean my favorite rule is that you can't stay longer than 14 days i love the psychological implications of that (laughs) they don't want people like i mean because they don't want people setting up shop and like you know living there right yeah Uh, You know, for whatever reason, or if it's too psychologically damaging, you know, as we find out they've been reading people. Well,
2: you know, I think think that rule may solve my other problem, Dan. I still haven't figured out why a human hasn't gone crazy and just killed another human with a knife because those are sharp (laughs) and I don't see how they are protected. Now, the clothing thing might do it for us, right? The knives might also have radio signals built in. And if you get too close to human clothing, the knife might just dissolve for all we know. Or Um, a big magnet. What about a magnetic field where it pushes the knife away? Pushes the knife away. Yeah. Right. Um, but I I do like you know this is a little more on the robots and we may do this more in the next in in our robot focused episode. Um, there is the also just the general orders and programming in the robots not to kill humans, which helps with the knife feature. Right, right. Um, it, it, you know, it's not just the guns, but the guns. I think I think we got pretty cool with that technology. I think that's one yeah. we nailed.
0: I think so too. And and you know you mentioned because safety doesn't it doesn't just it's not localized to the guns itself. It's also the environment. You know, in the opening credits, I think a lot of people miss, they're creating basically everything in the world. The first image is creating, like, um, you know, a host raven or a a hawk or something, right? right? We see snakes. Um, So the environment is also. It's completely controlled, but it's also controlled by robots. And yeah. if you're if you're gonna fall off a cliff or something, you know they ha- the the hosts uh, have in their programming. They've got to basically protect you if you know if something goes wrong and fit yeah. it into the narrative, which is really interesting. <laughs> right. you know. I, I think that the, the, the safety features there are I just think are, are really cool. And and it must you know. There's also one other thing I want to talk about is. Obviously, they're using some form of facial recognition software or a vitals recognition, you know, like knowing if some people actually have a heartbeat, you know, things like that. But they have, you know, one of the things they had was a host that read as human. I think they say that in one of the in one of the episodes. I thought this was kind of interesting. So, you know, as we finish up here, what would be a way to to create that making a host kind of Um, read as uh, as human how could you make a robot read as a human being
2: well my thought i was really just straightforward i figured they were including dna in the in the surface layer of the robot and enough of it that it fooled the reader Hmm. i I was going under the assumption that the readers were were looking for the chemical signature of dna Um, dna is a pretty complicated Molecule, you're not going to get it randomly. Mm-hmm. You know, you probably need a, enough of it because obviously, if hosts are fighting with humans, you might get some skin that has some DNA, little patches if it's stuck on a person. Right. That's where I went first. I'm I'm not sure I'm completely comfortable with that. I'm, I'm thinking other ways you could go is maybe something like actual hemoglobin in the fluid that's the blood. Mm-hmm. Hemoglobin's a great signal to look for. It's something we really. Um, We're already building sensors to measure your hemoglobin and your oxygen count. That's something that's real, that's used a lot in the medical world now, um, based on infrared lasers and and non-invasive technology. And if you just don't build your robots with hemoglobin, that gives you a way to to fool things. You just make one that has hemoglobin in it, and you Hmm. you break your own rules. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay.
1: I think it's that, and I also think there's nothing stopping the robots from stealing... Blood from, I mean, there there just been a massacre. Like, yeah, (laughs) there's some blood to get. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I I I think more of the the Gattaca solution of if you remember in Gattaca they he they're checking the DNA constantly and he makes like a blood set sachet that he puts on his finger to like fool the 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 blood sensors. So I'm thinking, you know, you just yeah, you just get some blood. Like if I mean let's let's be we're talking about Hail, right? Hail tricks them. She had the real hail. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> she could yeah. she could steal some material to get through whatever sensors they need yeah. to get through.
0: I think the real question is what are they detecting? And then how would you mimic it? I mean, is it DNA on the skin? Is it the hemoglobin? What is it that's uniquely human that
1: they're looking for? And I think that that's really the key. I think if you have access to the body you're impersonating which she does yeah you, you can do whatever you can you can put real blood in the robot you can put real skin cells on the skin mm-hmm. once you start getting past that it's tougher like does it have a real you know you could potentially with a bunch of electronics fake out an ekg so that if you try to do uh you know an electronic sense to see if there's a real heartbeat and a real electronic circula, you know the real electrics bioelectric circulatory system yeah. that you could detect that i mean here's my problem with that is
0: we're t- this is clearly takes place in the future i can't yeah. imagine it would be that simple to read as human right they, they're in a part no. where the distinction between robot and human is vital right i mean it's a, it's basically who could live and who can die and i feel like it would be much trickier to, to really fool someone and to read as human, I think you would almost have to mimic the vital signs of a human being, be it a heartbeat, brain
1: activity, um, you know, something yeah. that is uniquely human, right? I mean, I think the brain activity is the best one. There's no way the little brain yeah, yeah, yeah. brain spheres look anything like a, a brain. So right, I think right. Dan,
2: yeah. you're failing. Take. To take into account the fundamental laziness of humans for cutting corners. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean,
2: the, the, the reality is, and, and also the arrogance of humans, right? right? I never so, do either. I'm neither arrogant nor do I cut corners. So this is a foreign exactly. concept to me, Denny. So, so it's just a foreign concept. I mean, right. if you think about it, they know they're building every robot. It never occurred to them the robots would come alive, Yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So there's no reason to get more complex the easiest thing to detect is your blood flow mm. and, the, and, and, and the hemoglobin or a, a chemical signature in it. If you're going to use anything on the surface, no matter how advanced your technology gets, yeah. we yeah. already do it. Yeah. It, it. It's the easiest thing. And the sensor actually looks like the stuff we build at UCI. So, you know, it's cool. They probably just took our devices.
1: Zod zod zod. And since that's the
2: easiest thing to do, you're going to yeah. save money. Look, we know these people are really after profit. They're not going to invest in a particularly high system. And so then the easiest thing for, um, you know, Dolores to do as Hale is to just take her blood um, and, and replace it. And, and, no. and out she goes. That's kind of – that was my assumption in watching it, to be frank.
1: Or to be even lazier. Maybe all it's looking for is, like, the radio <laughs> signal that, you know, does the guns. Uh-huh. And, and a host can just turn that off if they know what's up.
0: Right. <laughs> I'm going to say that there's probably a better foolproof system in place, but I, but you know, you guys both seem to be on the same page about the laziness of humans. So, Uh, well, here's, so we're at the end here. So I want to just give us a nice little cliffhanger here. I have a way. I know exactly how Westworld can become a reality. I got some big stuff coming up in the next episode. We talk about robots and AI. I'm very excited to get to, but until then, you know, let's, uh, I I think, you know, I think we kind of, we got a lot of the park stuff down. We nailed the bullets uh, and if you want to talk more about this, if we miss something, if we miss some safety feature, we're easy to get a hold of. The show is on Twitter at, at pod and on Facebook at g b t, or you can type in the whole thing, fascinating gadgets, gizmos, gear-based technologies. And of course, we're on, we're on social media. I know Ben's very
1: active. Ben, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on all the major social media networks at bsipser. How do you spell that? That's B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And Denon, you're very, very active. I know that. How can people get in touch with you?
2: Well, Twitter, it's Denon Michael. Um, Instagram, Denon Michael. But then on Facebook, it's Prof, P-R-O-F, Denon Michael.
0: So do you do Snapchat? I could see you being like a major Snapchatter.
2: I I am on Snapchat, but only with one of my three daughters so that we can keep our streak going. We're at 437 days and counting (laughs) That's incredible! Hey,
0: congratulations for that. That is that is no small feat. Um, I'm really proud of both of you for keeping up for for that long. Uh, well, I am not. I am on Snapchat, but I never use it. But let's give let me give you some platforms that I use: Twitter at Daniel J Glenn, Instagram at the Daniel J Glenn, and Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. Uh, this is great, guys. I can't wait. Next episode, we're going to talk about the AI and robots, which is very dangerous. So remember, we're revealing a lot of information. As I said, this is dangerous stuff. You got to handle it with care be responsible you want to be a superhero not a supervillain until next time thank you for listening Fascinating Gadgets Gizmos and Gear Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me Daniel J. Glenn the Fascinating Gadgets Gizmos and Gear Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers if you love this show even if you just barely like the show, that's fine. You don't want to miss an episode because the show is incredible. We got all kinds of stuff coming up. You want to subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify are the places to do that. We even have uh, the audio version on YouTube and of course, how do you find that stuff? If you don't know right off the top of your head, we got it easy, we made it super easy for you. Go to our website, FGGBT.com, bottom of the page, you'll find links to all that stuff. You can subscribe at the bottom, you can also find our social media there and if you go to the top of the page, you can find previous episodes. This episode, we got YouTube versions, audio versions, we got everything for you. You. There it is, ftriplegbt.com. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that we do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.